Please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these moments that we have today to worship you. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus, and this rescue mission that you sent him on. Thank you for your spirit who convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment and who draws us to the beautiful Savior who is Jesus. God, for this uh, message, little video we've just seen, thank you for the reminder that we're part of a grand story, that, Lord, we're not alone in telling others about Jesus, but we're part of a, a great stream of history and of people, even in our own community, who are sharing the good news of Jesus. Lord, open our eyes and help us to see the beauty which is before us and the joy which is ours in Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Jonas. I'm so excited, honestly, to be with you this morning. I, uh, I want to acknowledge uh, one of my colleagues over here was praying for a white Christmas, and so God does answer prayers. And uh, if you didn't know that, outside will, will give you evidence that there were people praying for snow for Christmas, and, and the Lord answered those prayers. And he doesn't answer some prayers, and, and, and some of us are part of that team this year for Christmas. You know, we, uh, the Lord does what the Lord does, and we are grateful for that. My, I just... I love the opportunity to stand before you, and uh, as I do, I'm reminded of a number of things, and one is that I need a lot of reminders. In fact, uh, I took some notes in between services, like, remember this, and remember this, remember this. If you ever come to my office, you'll see reminders everywhere. It looks like clutter. It's actually brilliance on display, uh, for those of you who are wondering. There's Post-it notes everywhere, and they help me remember things. I have digital reminders that buzz me during the day and say, hey, don't forget this. Uh, if it's not in my calendar, it's probably not going to happen. You know, reminders all around me. And those reminders then help me to remember the important things that I want to remember. And I have found that for Jonas, it's really good to have those reminders. I hope in this season, and since I visited with you last, that, that one of the, the key takeaways that I shared with you is that uh, the reminder that's being set for me in 2020 was to ask and answer the question, where do you see God at work? Because what I'm realizing is that when I condition myself to see the Spirit of God at work in my midst, I see Him all over the place. And it leads me to worship, and it leads me to joy, and it leads me to hope in the midst of what else might not be that hopeful. And it's been wonderful to see God at work. Last week, uh, I had no idea what was about to happen to me. I had been uh, asked to deliver a gift on behalf of Bethel Church to one of our our saints who is a little bit older. She raised her three daughters here. Uh, She and her husband have been a wonderful part of Bethel Church for a long time, but she's in a stage of life where she lives across the river in this really nice facility, and she doesn't have transportation anymore. And so I was going to visit her, and on behalf of Bethel Church, we love you, and she's a friend of mine. And as we're, the conversation came so easily, you guys. It was wonderful to be with people who uh, stand as witnesses to us of God's favor through the generations. And as we're talking, she asked very innocently, do you, do you remember meeting my husband? And I said, yeah, I do. I remember he was really tall. And we were trying to reflect, you know, where did we see each other in the service? And then she got this really sheepish, beautiful grin, and she said, I remember when you met my husband at the hospital. You forgot John 3.16. <laughs> And, and uh, boy, was that a flood of memories in that moment. And, and the story is really beautiful. I mean, it's funny. Like, it's one of those human moments. And I've, I've told it before, but for those of you who haven't heard it, you really need to hear this. It's great stuff. 
Um, sometimes us pastors, we feel real, well, I won't claim anyone else, Pastor Gary, no one else. I'll just say for me, sometimes I feel these really spiritual moments and I want to, you know, impress somebody. So I took my Bible with me to visit her husband in the hospital. Uh, husband, wife were there, daughter. I think there might have even been some grandkids and some other relatives were around his bed and, and, and I thought, I'm going to do something really spiritual. Sir, is there a scripture I could read to you that would be really meaningful? And he whispers, John 3.16. And I am so proud. And I say, if you confess, no. In the beginning, and I grimace, and I reach for my Bible, and I start to flip the pages. And the daughter, in her very kind way, leans over and says, for God so loved. And I slammed my Bible shut, and I said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Let's pray. And I prayed my heart out, <laughs> and I realized as I was praying what had just happened, and, and then we went next door, and we visited as a family, and we laughed until we cried. And last week, I got to laugh until I cried again with a dear saint, a sister in Christ who loves Jesus, and, and I just want to encourage you, wherever you see God at work, just embrace it, and it's wonderful. <laughs> you know, this has been a crazy year, and we've talked about this year a lot, and it probably wears thin for some of you. But... I think there have been some things that have been really good coming out of 2020 when we say, where did we see God at work? Well, I think one of the first places we see God at work is the the course correction in our theology. Theology 101, there is a God and we're not him. You know, I mean, no one would have expected this. I, I think one of the greatest learnings for me this year is there's so many things that are outside of my control that once I thought I had some sense of control over. One of the things I'm taking away is just how incredibly far we've come as a people, and yet how much further we have to go. I think about how fragile we really are, and I contrast it with how incredible the accomplishments we've created and accomplished when we choose to work together. I mean, it's just mind-blowing, the contrast we're living in. And it feels like this huge reminder from James chapter 4. Listen to what James says. He says, listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, and we'll make money. His response, why do you even, how do you, you don't even know what's going to happen to tomorrow. What's your life? You're like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. You know, so many of us are so busy making plans, and the Lord reminded us that, that he's God and we're not, and, and we can trust him. One of the reminders for me recently is just how profoundly generous this community is. Surely this community, yes, Bethel Church, I mean, I'm standing in front of a big white box with a red bow on it, and, and we've been giving um, of our resources. You know, we've been blessed to be a blessing. And before Christmas Eve, we had already raised over $22,000, you guys, to give to elementary students in need in our community and to say, bless you in the name of Jesus. What a profound statement for us to make in our community that we love and we care and we want to be a blessing. I feel like the luckiest guy in the world because so often in my job, when I'm looking for it, I have a front row seat to the generosity of his people here and his people a little bit broader in our community. On the 23rd, I was called by a friend who works for the Fargo Police Department and, and asked if I knew of some children who needed a gift this Christmas. 
<laughs> and in another moment of strength, I said, no, I can't think of anybody, but let me ask my wife. <laughs> and, and she, of course, corrected Jonas, and, and pretty soon we were on our way to go to the police department to help give out some of the gifts that the community has blessed them with. And it, you guys, it was such an incredible blessing. We stood in the foyer of the Fargo Police Department. They have this Christmas tree. And I was talking to the officer in charge. He said, Jonas, I've refilled this tree 11 times in the last week or two with gifts that have come in from the community to be given to people in need. And as we're there, we saw a community member come in and, and dump out a big box of really nice gifts in front of the tree for somebody to come and get. And we saw a, a parent come in and, and, and she said, may I, may I take one of these? I have four kids. Could I have four? What, what do I have to do? Where do I sign up? What do I have to do? And, and the grace that he displayed of just, no, ma'am, they're for you. <laughs> you know, as we freely receive, so we freely give. It was just this beautiful display of generosity, front row seat, some of the most amazing things. A couple weeks ago, our friends, the D'Souza's were here. They're missionaries that we support. And I saw the profound beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ going out through into Angola through their work. They're medical missionaries. They serve the Lord over there. And, and friends, they could, in so many ways, they're, they're the contrast of what the world says we should be after. But in following in obedience to Jesus, they're serving him faithfully and quietly over there. And it was amazing to see God's kindness. Kyle Ulan was joining us last hour, and he may still be out in the foyer. He's one of our crew-supported missionaries. And he's retelling stories about the ministry he has among college students. I mean, I'm looking at you guys. You're part of this. God is a generous God, and he has been so kind to us. May I remind you of that? As I'm reflecting on John 3.16 and this gift to children like those at our neighborhood, Ed Clapp, I'm reminded of the Good News Club we used to be able to do before this year. And I remember there was one little girl there. Each week, we would ask the kids to memorize a new verse. And if they memorize a verse, we give them a reward, usually some simple candy. But it's amazing what a little sucker is worth to an elementary kid who's trying to achieve something. I mean, you can get a lot out of a kid for a sucker when it's a, a good prize. So we did this week in and week out, but there was this one little girl that sometimes would struggle to remember last week's verse, and she always got her Good News Club leader. She'd say, I may not remember that verse, but you know what verse I remember? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but will give everlasting life. And she got a sucker every week. And she made her dad, who's standing up here on the stage, look even more foolish for forgetting that verse. It was incredible. The Lord in his kindness and in his generosity is such a good God. And I want to remind you of that. I want to remind you of God's love for you. Because what John 3.16 says is true. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. Now, over the last few weeks, as you've sat here in this space or as you've listened and joined us online, you've heard us share from the Gospel of John these great I am statements of Jesus. Let me remind you of those. It's good for us to remember them. Uh, John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Jesus' invitation to feast on him. John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. To a world lost in darkness, Christ is our guide. I'm the door or the gate of the sheep. 
He's the great protector of his flock. Jesus said in John chapter 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. And let me remind you, we memorized a verse that day. Some of you might remember that. Jesus wept, John 11.35. I hope you remember that. Quiz me on it later. I'll probably remember it. John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the source of all truth and knowledge about God. And seven, I'm the true vine. Friends, when we're attached to Jesus, we bear much fruit. For apart from him, we can do nothing. And so I hope that my time with you, my reflections with you on the word of God are simply a reminder that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 20. As we do so, one, one other thing comes to mind. I, I'm reminded that a couple of weeks ago in the busyness of the season, I found myself um, just really exhausted, mentally, emotionally tired, and I thought, let's do something really spiritual. Let's open the Bible and read it slow. And uh, it was remarkable to just slow down and read the Gospel of John in this season. I made it 13 chapters before I got interrupted and had to get back to all the other life stuff that was happening. And I just want to encourage you and invite you to have a similar experience in this season. If you're feeling exhausted or tired or a little bit overwhelmed, uh, turn to the Gospel of John and in it feast on what it says about Jesus and his love for you. Because there is a bountiful love for you that you will see in this text. In chapter 20, John has been making his case that this Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and he's been inviting you to believe in him as you read through this. And in chapter 20, we find Jesus um, out of the tomb. So he's been buried, he's raised from the dead. Mary Magdalene goes to see him first, and then the disciples. And, and Jesus appears to the disciples around verse 19. He came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then uh, look in verse 24. Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe you guys. John then says this, eight days later, after they've had some time to think about this, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and and put your hand and, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
John has painstakingly and carefully, strategically brought to mind these stories led by the Spirit of God in his writing of the Gospels to bring together not the sum total of all that Jesus did, because he tells us in the next chapter, there's so many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written, I suppose the world itself wouldn't contain all the books about Jesus. But he's written this so that you, the reader, might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Each of the four Gospels, as they told the story of Jesus, had a little different emphasis to them. Matthew, writing as a Jewish follower of Jesus, spends a lot of energy helping to convince the reader that Jesus is Israel's Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one of whom God promised it would come, and he's the fulfillment of these prophecies. Mark has a little bit different angle. Mark is written to the people of God who are under intense persecution at the hands of the governors. And when you read the text, if you watch for it, you'll see over 40 times this word immediately. There's a sense of urgency in Mark for you to believe and to trust and to follow and to obey because your life is on the line and to follow Jesus is worth it. Luke tells it a little bit differently. Luke is a medical professional and somewhat of a historian. In fact, he has two volumes, Luke and Acts. And he tells his friend Theophilus, I've recorded these things so that you might know the history of Jesus and believe. But John, he says for you, the reader, that I've written this, that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. Notice verse 30, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. That language of signs, I think, is significant because there were seven signs that are real easy to identify in the, in the Gospel of John. As you, as you dig a little bit deeper and look for that, that language use, the first one was the sign at the wedding in Cana in John chapter 2. If you remember, Jesus is with his disciples, and his mom comes to him and says, Hey, Jesus, the wine ran out. And Jesus turns water into wine. And it's one of the first places where we see the disciples like Thomas beginning to believe in Jesus. Now, this language of belief is used at least 98 times in a verbal tense throughout the book of John. And it's threaded through every chapter that you would believe, that you would believe, that you would believe, and these signs were to point you to belief. In John chapter 4, Jesus heals the official son, and it's this sign of Jesus' power. And the official and his household believe. People that we wouldn't maybe normally expect to believe. In John chapter 5, he heals the paralytic. And the paralytic believes, but as the paralytic starts to tell that story, the Jewish people who should have welcomed their Messiah, they don't believe. John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is an incredible sign where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He's saying in so many ways, he's the greater Moses. Like God is doing this incredible thing. It, it's, it recasts this incredible vision for what God had done in the desert where he provided manna for the people of Israel every day for 40 years. And now here they are in the wilderness and Jesus feeds them. And the 12 disciples feed them till they're full and overflowing. There's leftovers because when you feast on Christ, you will be satisfied. And the text tells us 
Some in the crowd, they believed. Many were just looking for signs. John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. And we see this beautiful story of a blind man who doesn't know Jesus, but, but meets Jesus. And though he was blind, now he has sight. And the people who should have seen the Pharisees are spiritually blinded. You see this contrast through the sign. In John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and Mary, Martha, and many of the Jews, they believe in Jesus, but the Jewish authorities rally to kill this man, Jesus. So John builds these contrasting stories to help you see this incredible man who is God, who is Jesus, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, verse 31, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, if your Bible is like mine, in verse 31, next to the word believe, there's a little note there. And it's interesting because, because it, it reveals, it's a reminder to me through the course of study that, that in some of the early manuscripts, the guys, as they were copying the manuscripts, they were a little confused by the verbal tense. Like, is it this way or is it that way? And one way to read this is so that you might believe, like in an evangelistic thrust. I'm speaking to you who have not believed in Jesus. This gospel was written that you might believe. But if you change a little bit, then it reads like this. You who have already believed, I've written this to you that you might continue to believe. And like so many things in the gospel of John, it's this beautiful double meaning. Said more simply, it's written as a witness to unbelievers concerning Jesus in order that they would come to believe in him and they would experience this eternal life that he promises. And it's written to strengthen the faith of believers by deepening and expanding their understanding of who Jesus is. If you remember in that passage where Jesus is the resurrection and the life, there are some clues there that that the reader would have been familiar with the story of the woman who used the perfume to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. John's writing to his familiar audience, and he's also writing to the audience who's not yet heard. And he's inviting both of you to believe and to be strengthened in your belief. The first invitation is that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One. This greater Moses who is to come, that when you feast on him, you will find yourself ultimately satisfied. That Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, which God had promised to the nation of Israel. My pastor in college, he used to talk like this around this time. He'd say, friends, if you look at just some of the, the prophecies that were fulfilled, and, and, and if you're a gambling type, you know, what kind of gambles would you want to take? And he would, he would pose this idea, let's take a hat and, and let's put 10 names in it. Let's blindfold you and we'll draw it out. And can you get one out of 10 right every time? I'm not taking that gamble. And then he said, but what about this? What if we covered the entire state of Texas with silver dollars and we marked one of the silver dollars and we blindfolded you and said, you can go throughout the whole state of Texas and you have to pick the right one. That is so statistically improbable, none of us would ever take that, right? Well, reverse that and see it as a positive. That's how, pro that's how statistically improbable just eight of the prophecies of Jesus would be. 
The evidence for Jesus as Israel's Messiah, Messiah is incredibly overwhelming. A quick search on the, the, the Jesus Film website will show you just 55 that he fulfilled. There's maybe up to 300 of them. This Jesus is the Messiah, and John invites you to believe in him. But he's not just the Messiah, he's also the Son of God. And as you hear that, you flash back, you're reminded of John chapter 1, where he wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In a time of darkness, light has appeared. His name is Jesus. He is the very essence and the being of God. Our statement of faith reads this way, We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person in two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. Here again we see that he's fully man and he's fully God, and you're invited to believe. John says, I've written these things that you might believe. And then by believing, you may have life in his name. As I mentioned, more than 98 times the verbal tense of believe. Believe, believe, believe. I invite you, believe. It's true. What John recorded in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is true. So believe. I remind you of John chapter 10, where Jesus said, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and he will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and that they would have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The greatest sign of Jesus is that he was raised on a cross, died, was buried, and he rose again victorious over sin and death and promised he's coming again. Will you believe? And this eternal life, this joyful life begins now. And in so many ways, friends, as you read through John, there's this beautiful uh, literary sense that the, the whole book is building up to this statement, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then he does one more cycle, one more chapter of trying to convince you and to invite you to follow Jesus. But verse 30 happens in the context of Thomas's confession in John chapter 20, Verses 28 and 29. Listen again. You remember Thomas. He had heard that Jesus had come. And he wasn't so sure he wanted to believe that story yet. He said, I'll believe when I see it. Eight days later, Jesus shows up behind a locked door, his resurrected body, and he says to Thomas, look right here. Go ahead, put your hand there. And see here, there's a, there's a scar. And Thomas cries out with this confession, my Lord and my God. 
Friends, so too might we cry out to Jesus, my Lord and my God. There is a God, and we are not him. There is a God, and he has sent his son Jesus, that you might know him, love him, and serve him. And then watch the blessing that Jesus gives to Thomas. He says, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. In so many ways, he's speaking to you. Blessed are you. And it's interesting, as you read in in Revelation, which was written by this same gospel writer, chapter 4, he says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. It is appropriate for us to worship Jesus. John tells us in Revelation 19, on Jesus' robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lord. This confession of Thomas played a significant part in strengthening the faith of the Christians and directing them to the Lord of the cross and the resurrection. And so too, Thomas' confession can point us to confess with him that Jesus Christ is Lord and God. So thankful for Pastor Kent Hughes and his statement here. He said, Thomas may have been slow to believe, but he was not slow to grasp the implication of Christ's resurrection. Jesus was not only his Lord, but his God. The evidence was palpable, substantive, and clear. Thomas's faith surely rested on a solid rock. Friends, John wrote many things. One more reminder of something he wrote. John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. Listen for believe. Listen for what God has done. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, this is Jesus, has made him known. John has given us, readers of the gospel, sufficient evidence to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the very Son of God, and that by believing we might experience eternal life now, and this abundance of life. So friends, let me remind you once again, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but could have everlasting life. Do you believe this? Oh, I pray that you would join the army the community, the family of God, who has said, my Lord and my God, because blessed are you who have not seen and yet have believed. A couple of years ago, my friend, a guy I really look up to, I consider it a joy to even be able to talk to him as an acquaintance and friend. His name's Larry Moyer. He came and spoke here. He trained us in evangelism, and, and he, he shared at our um, Wild Game Feed And he shared how God used the creation experience to draw him to himself. That all creation cries out there is a God. And that when somebody shared with him this truth of Jesus, his life was radically changed. And God put him to work. 
And he's been training people for years and how they can share their faith. And I, I want to share with you a little testimony from him this week. He says, a pastor friend and I had breakfast last Friday morning. Insisting he covered the breakfast, he went up to the cashier to pay the bill. Noticing that no one was around him and using what we had talked about, he asked permission to show her from John 3.16, three things that God cannot do. Remember that verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. Well, there's three things God can't do. He can't love us more than he has already loved us because God loved the world. He can't give us more than he has already given us because he gave us his only son. And he can't make it any simpler than he has already made it that whoever believes has eternal life. Friends, for you and I, may we remember, may this stand as a reminder that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He can't love you any more than he already has. He can't give you more than he has already given you. And he can't make it any simpler than to believe. So this week as we leave this place, I invite you to start with Jesus, to trust him, to worship him, and to experience this life that we find in him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for your love expressed through him. Thank you for the invitation of grace to believe. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to to not just receive it, but, Lord, to be generous in reflecting your love back out to a lost and dying world of the hope that we have in our Savior. Oh, God, stir within us today a burning to share that good news. In Jesus' name, amen.